For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. And welcome to Birds 365. It is show number four. Damn, they're flying right by. It's fun to be here with you talking birds. And man, have we got a show planned for you. It's the Mac and Mac guys, Jody McDonald, along with my partner, John McMullen. I know it's only day four, John, but we have actual news for today's show. Yeah, we do. The Eagles are are busy uh, this time of year, and I think Howie Roseman's trying to button things up sort of before the draft, obviously, later this month. You know, we kind of talked about it on yesterday's show. The last thing you want to be in a position to do, especially in the premium rounds, is, is force a position. So generally, general managers in this league try to look at their rosters and say, well, I got to get somebody here just in case I'm, I'm not able to do something in the draft. I think the Eagles were able to do that at linebacker and running back yesterday. They bring in Eric Wilson, very speedy, athletic linebacker from Minnesota, three interceptions, three sacks last year, 122 tackles, so big stats guy. Um, and they bring back Jordan Howard to be uh, potentially a complement to Miles Sanders in the backfield. And, you know, he had a bad year, um, signed a big contract in Miami last year before he came back here, Jody. But if you remember his first year here, he was darn good. He won the starting job. He yeah. took the starting job away from Miles Sanders before he got that sort of mysterious stinger injury. So I don't think it's the worst thing in the world to, to bring Jordan Howard back. You saw thunder and lightning, so to speak, when it was working. Um Back in that 2019 season, hey, roll the dice, see if it works again. He, it, haven't seen the official numbers yet, but I'm 99% sure it's that veteran minimum uh, for Jordan Howard. So uh, why not try for the Eagles? We will break down both of those two signings for you. Uh, we have a busy show, not as busy as we thought it may have been, but a very busy show just the same. In addition to the breaking news that we have, that the Eagles have actually made some moves. We've got a couple of guests planned for you. Coming up in, oh, about 14 minutes from now, we're going to get a chance to talk to all-pro offensive lineman for the Philadelphia Eagles, Lane Johnson, uh, rehabbing, getting ready for the season. It's going to be a key element to the Eagles offensive line. Uh, we do have the ability to talk to Lane today. That will happen at 8.15. Uh, so you want to stay tuned for that. And because of that, we had to push back our uh, chat with Rick Saratella, the creator of NFL Draft Bible. Um, we'll probably get Ricky up early next week if we can. Because, yes, we are now closing in on the draft. We are officially three weeks away from the draft. So we do need Saratella for a draft spot. But uh, conflicting schedules today. Lane had to do it early in the show. So we will punch him up. And a little later in the show, Zach Berman is going to join us uh, from The Athletic to talk all things burden. It's great that we have these 
actual transactions to talk about. Uh, I got to ask you about Eric Wilson. I know you're tied into Minnesota, having you formerly been on the Viking beat. Uh, I don't watch the Vikings play in and play out on the weekends. I'll catch their games when they're on national TV and the likes. I'm not watching the game film of the of the Vikings after the fact. Judging by the stats, this guy looks like a borderline all-pro player, 122 tackles, three interceptions, three sacks last year. Talk about checking the boxes. He checked them all statistically, yet the birds were able to get him in phase three or borderline phase four of free agency. $3.25 million is certainly not bad at all. Team-friendly type deal when you look at the kind of numbers that he puts up. Something's got to be off here. There's got to be a box that I'm missing or he's missing as to why the Eagles were able to get him on a short-term and not overly large deal at $3.25 million. Give me the inside numbers or lack thereof on Eric Wilson. It's good that the Eagles got yeah. him, but I'm just surprised at the deal they were able to get him on. Well, you're right. I, I, I mean, early in the process, I think Eric was thinking about uh, and over the cap it had sort of measured his value at about seven or eight million a year. But I think teams around the NFL are getting uh, a little bit savvier and they see what went on in Minnesota. Look, that had been a top five defense for, I think, four consecutive years in a row. I mean, they were they were top of the line last year was bottom five. And the reason why was a perfect storm of injuries, of, of, of uh, free agency, losing guys, COVID. Think about this, Jody. Daniel Hunter, they're all pro defensive end, out for the season. Uh, they lose Linval Joseph, who was a great nose tackle in free agency. They lost their top three corners in free agency. And then the linebackers. They have great linebackers, Anthony Barr and Eric Kendricks. Anthony Barr tears his peck in week two, so he essentially misses almost the entire season. And that's where Eric Wilson comes in. He stepped in, he played every single snap, and he, he made some splash plays. But the Vikings didn't have good defensive tackles up front because Michael Pierce opted out for COVID-19, so he's their big run-stuffing nose tackle. So they didn't have those big bodies up front that could occupy blockers. And Eric Wilson is 230 pounds, man. He does not. He is athletic. He is fast. He can cover. He can blitz. But he can't shed blocks. He can't support the run. And when those guards are getting to the second level, it can get ugly. And the film was ugly at times when it comes to run support. And that's why the Eagles got him at essentially the clearance aisle price. All right, I will spin this in a positive direction then. You mentioned the Vikings uh, were certainly not at 100% on their defense with all the injuries they had, specifically in front of them at the defensive tackle position. Well, if he stays healthy, the Eagles have a guy named Fletcher Cox who will be up in front uh, in front of him occupying those offensive linemen. Same thing with Jason Hargraves. The Eagles should be good at defensive tackle, which should give him the ability to just make plays, to run a little bit more free than maybe he could last year in Minnesota. I don't know how you increase a tackle's number of 122. That would be pretty amazing. But maybe his responsibility as far as shedding blockers is a little less called upon here in Philadelphia because of the surrounding cast on the defense with him. 
Well, you're 100% right. That's the hope from the Eagles' perspective. They have good defensive tackles. Fletcher Cox is still a top-five defensive tackle in this league. Javon Hargrave was really coming on late last season as he got used to the shift from that Pittsburgh 3-4 to the Eagles 4-3. So they brought back Hassan Ridgeway to be uh, part of that rotation who's a talented kid but has had some injury problems. So they're much better up front defensive tackle. And that's the theory. You, you meant, you're probably right. You're not going to get much higher than 122 tackles, Jody. The difference is, are they going to be seven yards down the field or two yards down right. the field? That's the big difference. And your hope is he's never going to beat Dick Butkus stopping the run. So, but this is a modern linebacker. We know it's more important to be able to cover. The Eagles have had really difficult issues trying to, have their linebackers cover running backs, tight ends, whatever. This guy will improve that aspect of the game, but it's sort of that give and take. You're getting something, but you're giving something up. He He's not very good when it comes to, to run support. And look, everybody's looking for Devin White. I think everybody saw the Super Bowl, Tampa Bay. You want that instinctive guy that can go to sideline to sideline, but still cover everybody, still be able to blitz. Those guys aren't easy to find. But what I will say is the Eagles have improved. This is better than what they had, and that's sort of what you're always looking to do. You're looking to improve at least a little bit. He was a playmaker last year for Minnesota. Now, as you say, plays can be made two yards past the line of scrimmage or eight yards past the line of scrimmage. You're hoping that it's more on the short end than the long end for this upcoming year. And I hate the fact that we have to factor in how much he got paid. It should just be on football evaluation, what kind of plays you make, how you are capable when you're out there on the field, and we shouldn't have to worry about, well, but yeah, what's his salary? It's a capped world in which we're living in the NFL. The Eagles specifically, because of certain other decisions that were made, didn't have a lot of cap flexibility. So the amount that he signs for is, shoot, almost as important as as many tackles and passes defended and forced <laughs> fumbles as he's able to get. So you do need to factor that in. That's why I've got to go major thumbs up on this signing. When he comes here and starts to play and the cap is set and the season's underway, how much he's making will become, I won't say completely irrelevant, but much less relevant. And we'll just be able to judge him as a football player. But right now in the off season, you have to take it in the context of how not only he plays, but how he fits under your cap. And I think that's a darn good signing. As you mentioned with Jordan Howard coming back, you believe uh, no one is uh, posted yet or, uh, reported yet as to what his salary is going to look like. Chances are it is going to be veteran minimum. Would you explain to me during the show, I didn't know this, there is even an adjustment to the salary of the players to help veteran guys who may or may not be good enough to hang in the league to actually stay. They give a little bit of a break to the team that does sign a player for a veteran minimum. Yeah, there is uh, uh, a new clause sort of in the CBA to help veteran players get more jobs because you remember there's sort of that catch-22 that D. Smith has to deal with and the fact that teams always want to get younger, they want to get more cost-effective, and as you get to that second contract as a veteran player, you might be a little bit better uh, just from a uh, a standpoint of, of, of how you are on the field, but a team will err on the side of caution and, and keep the younger guy because he's cheaper. So uh, what it is is basically you sign for $1.075 and it only counts 850 
thousand against the salary cap. So you have these, I think it's two or three spots per team that you can use that on veteran players. And that's to help guys. I, I, I'm not a hundred percent that that's what Jordan got, but I'm pretty close to a hundred percent. And I, I think it makes sense because if you go back to 2019 and you think about where the Eagles were when Miles Sanders was a rookie, they were a good duo and they were that, you know, Jordan was the between the tackles guy and Miles was the explosive guy. Now you'll sort of usurp that. And, and Miles is obviously the lead back, but it, 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 the Eagles need that compliment. And I don't think Boston Scott is that guy. So, Look, try different people. You No guarantee Jordan Howard's going to be that. He was really bad Miami last season. But if he can recapture some of what he had in Chicago or with the Eagles uh, in that first year, you also have Jason Huntley, you also have Boston Scott. So you 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 sort of throw, you know, or, or, or buy lottery tickets, Jody. You know, right. the more lottery tickets you have, maybe the better chance, even though mathematically we know that's not true in the lottery. And it'll be a competition. And if uh, Howard looks like the same guy who was here at the start of 2019, he can be the number two back behind Miles Sanders. If not, he can't beat out Boston Scott, so be it. He'll be here for training camp and probably not be an Eagle before the first game of the season starts. Uh, you mentioned Hundley. He's going to have an opportunity to compete. He's going to have to open some eyes to be able to beat out both of those two guys. And I absolutely believe the Eagles are going to take a running back in the draft. Now, where they take them, uh, third-round pick, fourth-round pick, is it going to be one of those compensatory picks in the seventh round? The further you get out, the longer the shot that the guy is going to make the team becomes. But you bring him into camp, and then you let the best man win. Uh, I think the Eagles will probably keep three guys. Maybe they get a fourth onto the practice squad as far as the running back position goes. Uh, I know it's way early to speculate, and we don't know n enough about Nick Sirianni and his coaching staff and how they're going to emphasize things. But just generally speaking, in the NFL, three running backs is what most NFL teams are carrying when you're talking about the opening 53, right? Yeah, I, I, and and you want – I know people want Miles Sanders to touch the football 25 times a game, but look, it, you, this, is a, this is a position where it's real as far as work, weight, work rate use and the fact that if you put too much on somebody's plate, you kind of know the length of, of, of that sort of prime of their career isn't going to be very long. And I don't see, you know, if you think about the great lead running backs in this league, whether it's Derrick Henry or Dalvin Cook or even Christian McCaffrey before he started to have injury uh, issues, I'm not sure Miles is that guy that you want to handle at 25 times because that means you're in there on third downs. That means you got to pass protect. That means you got to catch the football out of the backfield. That hasn't been the strength of Miles Sanders. So you need a compliment. You need him on a pitch count. Modern football, whatever you want to call it, um, it, it's part of the game now. So you need that committee in the backfield. Doug Peterson loved the committee. And and the Eagles need uh, sort of that, that second punch and the one-two punch. So why not try Jordan Howard again? There is, uh, it varies from team to team, but there is an overall prevalence in the NFL. You're right, that quote-unquote bell cow backs are a thing of the past. The teams like to have some kind of combination in the backfield. 
Now you get a chance to talk to these guys who are uh, top flight guys on the collegiate level. And then they come to the NFL and things change because they do it a little differently in the NFL. Do you think Miles Sanders would rather be on the field 90% of the snaps rather than 66% of the time? Would they prefer to be on the field and just do what they're told as uh, part of a system? Or do you think they actually understand that it can benefit them, that they're putting less wear and tear on their tires when they are off the field on any given place? You know, I think when you're in your 20s, early 20s, you think you're indestructible. And yeah, generally, those guys want to be on the field. Um, And it's sort of that old uh, mentality that that still carries over. You get a feel for the game. You more the more you touch the football uh, the better you become. And I think Miles has always said he's in that category. I I think, you know, sometimes you have to save running backs from themselves. And I think the second part is Miles, you got to be honest with Miles Sanders, tremendously explosive runner. But we said he's already there as a runner. It's the other parts of his job that he has to improve on. And generally, when you talk to coaches, Jody, they always say you see the most improvement from year one to year two. Well, Miles regressed as on pass protection and at really even more so as a receiver out of the backfield. So he's got to clean that stuff up and maybe 15 touches become 20, but I don't think you get to 25. I think that's the coaching staff. That's where you want to save the player from himself and say, look, we want you to be here and be in this offense for as long as possible. So we want to keep some of that tread on the tire. Again, uh, this is uh, true for the entire Eagle season. And it, even when we shrink it down to a conversation like about Miles Sanders and his ability to do certain things, it's still an overall evaluation of the Eagles from last year and their entire season. My read was that his pass catching ability did not drop, drop off in year two. Did it improve as much as I would have liked to see? No. If you believe that between year one and year two is the area and the time that a lot of guys do take a pretty big step up, I we did not get that last year. But I will put the less production more on the plate of Carson Wentz than I will on Miles Sanders. I won't say it was Sanders not accomplishing or Sanders not achieving or Sanders not doing the work that needs to step up. I think his quarterback had a real bad year. And that went from his running backs to his wide receivers to his tight ends. I'm not going to grade him as harshly as it sounded like you just did, uh, that there was such a drop-off in his pass catching. No, I'll say it was more on the QB than on Miles himself. Well, I'll say this, Jody. And and you're right. I mean, I think two things can be true. Carson Wentz was terrible last season. We've been through it. He benched himself. He played at a very poor level. Uh, certainly that was a part of it, but I will say Deuce Staley told me that. And, you know, uh, Deuce Staley um, doesn't criticize his players. I understand for years I couldn't get Deuce Staley to say anything bad about Danell Pumphrey. Now, uh, about Miles last year, and part of it is because he wants Miles to become a superstar, and he wants Miles on that level of, you know, Derrick Henry, Dalvin Cook to be Alvin Kamara, to be one of those top, tier backs he said man he's got to tighten up his hands he's and more so than that jody what the coaching staff there's very and one of the reasons people defended carson wentz at times was because if you're an outlet receiver and you think about a quarterback and you're going 
okay, progression one, progression two is not there. Then maybe I got to dump it off to my back. A lot of times you're not even concerned. You just know where that running back is supposed to be and his landmark. And Miles was not on his landmarks. And Deuce was not ups- was was not happy with it. And trust me, from his perspective, Miles took a step back as a pass receiver. That's uh, that's great imp- insight and information. I do trust Deuce Staley to call it like he sees it. And yes, when in doubt, he would fall on the uh, optimistic side of Eagle players. If he did point out that Miles wasn't getting the job done, that is a uh, a little bit of a knock on Mr. Sanders. And we'll see how that position uh, plays out for this upcoming year. We know he's going to be the number one guy. Uh, we need to see Nick Sirianni and his system and how he's going to deploy and play call over the course of an entire season. That we don't know. We can only speculate on, but I'm pretty comfortable speculating Miles Sanders is going to be the number one back. And Jordan Howard may get a chance to be that number two. Previously, when they were here together, it was more Howard first, Sanders second. Howard goes down, it became uh, Sanders first, and Howard hasn't really had a ton of a chance to prove he'd be a good complimentary back for Sanders. If he is uh, back to the speed that he was at 2009, uh, anytime you sign a veteran minimum contract, you're not exactly going to be dictating terms on how you're going to uh, get the football, but we will be able to see if he's uh, ready to carry any kind of load for the Philadelphia Eagles this upcoming year. If that's the case, I know uh, one guy who will be ready to block for him. Uh, the Eagles are chomping at the bit and ready to get back at it. One of the guys who will do just that is good enough to join us right now here on Birds 365. Stud offensive lineman, right tackle for the Philadelphia Eagles. Lane Johnson joins us. Lane, Jody McDonald and John McMullen. How you doing, big guy? Good morning. man. I'm doing excellent, man. Doing good. We appreciate your coming on board with us. I know you wanted to come on and share with us some of your off-season work, that you're combining forces with a very good cause while getting work in. Explain the partnership that you've struck up this off-season. Yeah, we're partnering with a microband, which is a sanitation product, and we're honoring the people with the MVP program and really honoring the frontline workers that are coming in day in and day out, sanitizing. Uh, our facilities, sanitizing homes, uh, workplaces, and really, um, you know, trying to show our gratitude to the people that are allowing for businesses to carry on, for the NFL to do what we're doing, and um, and that's really what it's all about. Hey, Lane, uh, good to see you. First off, uh, uh, I guess we gotta we gotta talk about your work and your rehab and the fact that obviously. Uh, you're coming off the ankle surgery. You tried to get through last season with the typhoid surgery, then had to shut it down. Uh, how are you doing physically? How are you feeling right now? I'm doing good. Um, so actually still in rehab, but I'm running, moving around well. So I feel like I'm probably a month out from being cleared fully. But yeah, it was a tightrope procedure uh, in the beginning, but uh, I needed a deltoid repair, which is an inside ligament of your ankle. So that was torn. I tried playing as much as I could, but I couldn't do the things or really push off the way I wanted to. So I uh, got the surgery uh, December 7th, um, about five months out. So feeling good, man. I'm feeling like my old self and and really just, just getting ready for OTA, see what happens. Nobody knows Lane Johnson as well as Lane Johnson. And you're going to decide your body, where you're at, what you still need to get better at, what you still need to give time to, to heal and prep and get ready. 
After Lane Johnson, who's the person that you put the second most faith in, in telling you with their eyes what you're capable of doing, where you're at, when you can push it? Who's the person that you lean on second after yourself? Uh, really, the, the the training staff here, or, or my coach, uh, if, if he's here in person. But really, I mean, it's ultimately up, you know, my decision. But our training staff, they monitor the progress really well and, and have been all off season. So uh, we're confident where we're at. We're ahead of schedule. And, uh, yeah, right around the corner from being cleared. So probably less than a month. And, Lane, you've been through coaching changes before, uh, obviously. You had tremendous success with Doug Peterson. Um, obviously it's not the time of year where you have a ton of, uh, contact with the coaching staff, but I'm sure Nick Sirianni has introduced himself. Guy shows a lot of energy, uh, in some ways, you know, does it, does the newness of something give you a, a little bit more energy, uh, and as you're coming back for another season? Yeah, I think, uh, you know, having the new coaching staff and then having the record that we had last year, there's a lot of emphasis. There's a lot of, you know, pressure to, to do better than that and, that comes from a lot from the players. So we know where we're staying. Uh, and really for the coaching staff, we hadn't really had an opportunity to get acquainted with everybody. I've, I've, I've met Coach Sirianni briefly before he had to go to a meeting. So uh, I had a little bit of small talk, but uh, we start virtual uh, OTAs uh, the 19th. So that'll be a way where we, we get to learn the playbook and, and get that down and then hopefully have some in-person um, sessions, I guess, before training camp starts in, in uh, late July. Lane Johnson here with us on Birds 365. Change is what it is, and we all go through it in our lives, and you certainly, as a now-grizzled veteran NFL player, have to be able to deal with that. Knowing that, and that it's a pretty much all-new staff, how as important is it to you that Jeff Stoutland is actually staying, a guy who you know as well as anybody else, he's going to be your uh, positional coach again? How important is that to you? Yeah, that was huge. I mean, uh, you had reports in the offseason that he may be going back to Alabama, this and that. But, you know, I was ecstatic that he stayed, uh, you know, putting in a lot of work with, with him and my teammates over the past, you know, eight, nine years and, and really got to know him. And and really, the, I mean, he's a unique guy. He's uh, the way he teaches, the way he coaches. Um, and you see the success that he's had with, with um, you know, maybe guys that aren't in the lineup having to deal with injuries and how he's uh, performed with, with having to do that have an interchangeable part. So I think that says a lot about him. Uh, guys, uh, he treats everybody as if they're a starter. So if somebody goes down, um, it's the next guy mentality and you feel prepared. You know, that having Jeff back and, and, and Stout back, but also you're getting your buddy back right next to you. Brandon Brooks and, mm -hmm. and Jason Kelsey has decided to play another year. So in a lot of ways for the offensive line room, the band is, is, is getting back together. How's Brandon doing? You guys are close off the field as well. You guys are really close friends. And how excited are you to get him back? That's the best right side in football when you guys yeah. are right. He's excited uh, coming off that, that injury last year. So as uh, far as uh, being cooped up and ready to go, man, he's a ball of energy. And, uh, yeah, man, having Kelsey back too. So we're eager to get out there and perform. Uh, we're eager to keep our quarterback clean and, and get this offense rolling and, and looking how it should. So, um, you know, what front's where it starts. And I know we're eager to get the job done. So, you know, last year was unacceptable and, and we're here to change that.
speaking of your quarterback, that's another area of change. A couple of years, Carson Wentz, the guy that you had to block for, and you probably have different assignments and certainly different mindsets with the individual that's back there behind you. You block differently for Nick Foles than you did Carson Wentz, and now you're going to have to block a little differently for Jalen Hurts. Got a taste of it right at the end of last year. What is the biggest difference between playing in front of a guy like Jalen Hurts as compared to Carson Wentz? Um, I think it may change uh, the way pass rushers rush the quarterback. You know, say there's guys that'll that'll rush different versus, um, say, a Tom Brady versus a Lamar Jackson, where you a lot of guys when they rush those type of guys that that have the dual threat capabilities, uh, they're taught to keep contained sometimes and not really uh, bend around the edges. So it may make it easier in, in some instances, but when you have a guy like that, it. it it makes it a little bit easier. It makes the defense uh, think a little bit because uh, you have a guy that can that can get out and beat you in multiple ways. Hey, Lane, you know, one of the silver linings, I guess, for the fact that uh, you were injured, Brandon was injured, uh, even JP at times, was was all those snaps the young guys got. What, what kind of pride do you take in, in people like Jack Driscoll, Jordan Mailata, Andre Dillard, even though he was hurt, but getting those mental reps. I know you work with Duke Mayweather and the offensive line masterminds, uh, you know, just kind of how much pride do you take in, in bringing those young guys along? And it, it, it was huge, uh, especially some of the situations that they were put in um, limited reps, but, you know, I've said this before, there's nothing that can really uh, simulate a game and uh, the better or the more times that they got to play, the more games that they were in, I think you saw gradual and steady progress. You you could look at Malata, where he started and where he ended up in the season that he had. Driscoll the same way, uh, steady improvement, and that's what you want to see. And that you know it's a credit to Coach Stout and how he coaches. Like I said, he uh, he treats everybody as if they're a starter. Um, how they should know their assignments, how they approach practice. So whenever things like this do happen, they're prepared. And um, I think with how they played shows um, you know why Coach Stout's so good. Listening to you talk, Lane, it sounds like you're ready to get back to work. You want to get back out there on the field with your teammates, with your guys. Let me ask you about one in particular. There's been a lot of talk this offseason about Zach Ertz and Mm -hmm. that Zach has been open that he thinks it's maybe time for him to move on. There's been rumors that the Eagles had conversations about trading him, which I think personally are quite accurate. If we get past the draft, if we get into the full offseason – and the workout time start, and the Eagles haven't moved him, and it doesn't necessarily look like they're going to be able to move him, or they're choosing not to move him. When or do you reach out to a guy like Zach Ertz, and to use John's phrase, hey, let's get the band back together for one more show, one more year. Will you try and talk Zach Ertz into coming back, being good with being an Eagle for the 2011 season? Yeah, I've, I've talked with, with Zach multiple times uh, throughout the offseason. Uh, we talked ball a little bit. I mean, trade speculations were in the works. I, I feel like he felt like he uh, may have been headed somewhere else. But in this business, you really don't you really don't know what's going to happen. So if he's back, uh, there will be nobody more happy than me as far as having a teammate back and, and, and a great friend. So, yeah, man, I mean, he's, he's close. I don't know if he's the all-time leader in receptions or he's right up there uh, for the Eagles. So, you're talking about Zach Ertz. You're talking about a guy that produces and, uh, and one of the best. 
All right, Lane, I know you got to run. Last one for me, so I want to go to the fun route. Obviously, it's WrestleMania week. You're good friends with uh, Stone Cold Steve Austin. You've been on his show. Uh, you're both Texas guys. You ever give a thought of being in that that ring at WrestleMania? Maybe man, get taking a Stone Cold stunner. Man, I, I thought about it in, in the fantasy world, but uh, <laughs> you know, happened up here, which which you know pays pretty good. But in an alternate in an alternate life, that's I would love to be in the ring. So maybe maybe it happens one day. Maybe it doesn't. But uh, it's always been a dream. At least he'll be checking out some WrestleMania this weekend. We're pretty damn sure of that. Uh, and since he went fun, I'm going to go a little bit more serious with my last question, Lane. Uh, we talked about change and it's imminent. It's going to happen in everybody's lives and it happens in the National Football League. Have you given any thought to what it's going to be like playing for someone other than Doug Peterson? Did you get a chance to talk to coach at all? What are your emotions about him not coming back to coach his team? Uh Coach Peterson, man, was a first of all a great person. Uh, I think everybody, you know, uh, was kind of shocked with it, with everything that happened, and uh, hadn't really had a chance to catch up with him. But uh, just to know that I was appreciative of everything that that he's done for us, you know, over the past five years that he was with us, and um, yeah, and then moving forward with with Coach Sirianni, I mean, it's hey, we're coming in with full energy. I know he preaches competition. Um, I know the guys. In here, love to compete, and like I said, man, last year isn't a good indication of where we want to be, uh, and it's kind of an embarrassment, and that's the last thing we want to be here in Philadelphia. So we we have a lot of work to do. We know that, and uh, with the guys coming in, we're uh, we're going to get that done. Sounds like you're already taking strides in that direction, Lane. Thank you very much for joining us tonight. Keep rehabbing, Bud. We're looking forward to seeing you back out there on the field. Yes, sir. Thank y'all. That is Lane Johnson here with us on Birds Three Sixty Five. I don't know about you, Johnny Mac, and I truly enjoyed talking to Lane there. He called me sir at the end. Is it the beard? Is it always the, the, the gray? I always, I always look at these guys because a lot of them are really polite, and they always call me sir, and it is the gray. And I always look at them like I'm the most immature person on the planet. I will never get used to anyone no. calling me sir, whether it's Lane Johnson or somebody at Wawa holding the door. When, saying, when when somebody you, calls sir. me sir, I go like this. Yeah, I go. What I always I got to look who's behind me because they're, yeah. they're sure as hell not referring to me. But yes, that was the case with Lane Johnson. He's good. Uh, gave us some really good answers uh, about the upcoming season. He looks like a guy who's dealt with what he's had to do during the offseason. This is not the first time Lane's had to come back from pretty significant injury, so it's not like he's never done it before, but he seems to be in a good uh, mindset. His beard looked much better than both yours and mine, certainly less white, uh, so he looks ready for the season for his best we could judge uh, in a Zoom situation. Uh, he's a key element of the Eagles being a better team than 4-11-1 uh, and one, like they were last year. If they do get their offensive line healthy back together and staying on the field, that's going to make the Eagles a better football team right off the bat. Yeah, I mean, the expectations are low. And I, I've said from the start of this, if, if they're going to overachieve next season, it's going to be because of that offensive line. And not only Lane Johnson coming back healthy, but Brandon Brooks, as I mentioned, Jason Kelsey back for another season. Uh, and then you figure it out on, you know, Isaac Sayamala is going to be a left guard. You figure it out at left tackle. Potentially, if those three guys, Johnson, Brooks, and Kelsey, play like they have in the past, well, that's, that's going to be one of the best offensive lines in football, and that's a good foundation to build an offense on. 
He's John McMullen. I'm Jody McDonald. We are your Birds 365 guys. We'll take our first time out of today, come back, talk a little bit more about what Lane had to say and the Eagles moves from yesterday. A little bit later, Zach Berman of the Athletic Clubs, the Birds Day in and Day Out will hop aboard with us. Keep it right here on Birds 365. If you missed any of today's show on the Jacob Media channel, listen to the podcast on your way home. Available on YouTube, Apple, and Spotify. Welcome to the Wildwoods, the perfect place where you can safely do everything or nothing at all. Catch a wave, take a nap, go for a drive, grab a bite. It's your vacation. And we're doing everything we can to make it a safe one. The Wildwoods. Your vacation, your way. The, the, the middle. The middle. So, bro, I know we're gonna get on that, but I, I, I gotta say happy birthdays to the to the kids in the stream. You know what I'm saying? We we looking, we checking it out. Happy birthday to your, your kids, man. You know what I'm to saying? To who? The kids, man. I'm watching the stream, man. What stream? It's double birthdays. You got to keep your eyes yeah, off that stream. Yeah, seriously. <laughs> you, you have a conversation with the stream, and nobody has any idea what you're talking about. You got to give us a heads up. I got to get you hip to it. No, no, no. We I, have I, no I'm idea what you're bro. talking about. So now we're in the middle of something, and it's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Happy right. birthday. Happy birthday yeah. to who? I have no idea what was, what's going on right now. I, I can just imagine people listening on Sports Map Radio just like, what did he just say? Who's Play Action Real. Play Action Real. His son, Nick. Happy birthday, bro. All right. Now, now everybody's got a birthday. Joey B's daughter, 16 today. Yeah. I mean, calling BS today. Seriously. This is like A.C. Green selling that he right. was a virgin back with Showtime. The Middle with Aton Shander, Barrett Brooks, and Harry Mays. Weekdays from 11 a.m. to 1 p.m. Eastern. The International Brotherhood of Electrical Workers, Local Union 98, is a proud sponsor of The Labor Show with J. Doc and Krause every Saturday night from 6 to 8 p.m. IBEW Local 98's highly trained and superbly skilled electricians are the best in the business, setting the highest safety standards in the electrical industry. So when you're planning your next industrial, commercial, or residential project, choose an IBEW Local 98 union contractor. Learn more at IBEW98.org. The future waits for no one, so we refuse to wait for it. We're not just pilots and engineers, we are pioneers. Today, battles are waged in nanoseconds, and planes are piloted from the other side of the world. We turn night into day and fly missions in space. The future's not coming, it's already here. This is the future. Join us and be the future. Jody Mack, the legendary sports talker, joins forces with NFL insider John McMullen. Start your morning with Johnny Mack and Jody Mack across the Jacob Media Network. The Mac and Mac guys on Birds 365. John McMullen, Jody McDonald. Thanks for jumping aboard the stream, watching us live. You know how this works, right? If you're uh, busy and you can't catch the show as it's coming to you live, 8 to 10, Monday through Friday, here on the Jacobs Media Channel. 
Oh, it'll be up there. It'll be there for your access if you got to check in later in the day or a day later. I wouldn't fall too far behind if I were you. I'd try and stay up with it because the Eagles landscape is ever-changing on a day-in, day-out basis and will change right along with it. Uh, But we appreciate you tuning in. If you want to get in touch with the show, you can do so one of two ways. Either you can hop on live and comment right on our stream. We've got our stream family that's been checking in basically since the show started, and we appreciate those guys on a day-in, day-out basis. If not, you want to, you can tweet the show. You've got both uh, my Twitter handle and John's right there on the screen for you. Uh, So if you want to tweet the two of us uh, to get your point in, your question in, your comment in, you can go either one of those two directions. Uh, I was uh, excited to find out yesterday we were going to be able to get uh, Lane Johnson on. He's a key element, has been for the Eagles for years now, certainly the uh, Super Bowl winning team back in 2017. Big part of that was their offensive line played as one of the best offensive lines in the National Football League. This year, not so much. Injuries ravaged them, and they were just not the same offensive line, either though most of the players were similar for the one that won the Super Bowl just three years ago. Lane Johnson is as key as anybody. I know Kelsey is the man in the middle, but and right tackle isn't always thought of as important as left, left tackle on the Philadelphia Eagles it is. If they get Lane Johnson back, that's a major step in the right direction for the Birds 2021 as compared to 2020, J.M. Yeah, and and right tackle, you mentioned, Jody. Earlier in the week, I brought up that piece Joe Banner wrote for the 33rd team about positional value. One of the things he mentioned was right tackle is basically the same as left tackle in the modern NFL because you had all those great pass rushers that started with Von Miller, DeMarcus Ware, you think about Khalil Mack, they all come from that left side, the right tackle side of the defense. So, so many of the great pass rushers in this league, Donnell Hunter, he's a left defensive end. I mentioned him earlier. Um, Right tackle is just important, as important as left tackle. And that's why the Eagles had that run of success and the fact that their offensive line and Lane Johnson particularly you know, at the height of his career, Jody, that was the best right tackle in football. And he had some duels with Von Miller, for instance, when Von was at the top of his game. And Lane got the best of him. And we know for years DeMarcus Lawrence in Dallas is another one of those left ends. And DeMarcus dominates everybody but Lane Johnson. So when he's good, I, I can't impress enough how important – having him back healthy playing 16 games will mean to the Philadelphia Eagles. Agreed. And I'm going to make a comparison here. That's going to sound silly, but I'll explain it because their level of player is just completely different. Uh, The last couple of days when I've been doing my regular gig over at WIP talking about all the Philadelphia teams, Roman Quinn's name has come up altogether too often. And uh, there are a lot of people you're truly included that think Roman Quinn's time should be up here in Philadelphia. And he just continues to get chance after chance after chance. And one of the reasons why is because he's always hurt. So I'm thinking that the Phillies continue to say to themselves or kid themselves, (laughs) well, we got to give the guy a real shot. He hasn't had a continuous, he hasn't been able to stay healthy for a continuous enough amount of time to get a true judgment on him. Yeah, I have. Uh, I don't care how many times he's gotten hurt. I've seen enough. The Roman Quinn days, the era should be over here in Philadelphia. 
that's where Lane Johnson is as far as being able to say, here's the level players that Lane Johnson is. Now, here's Lane Johnson's level, and here's Roman Quinn's level. It's, we're talking about all pro, one of the best in the game at his position, Roman Quinn, should he even be in baseball. So I hope you understand the difference I'm talking about. But the similarity is, and I'm afraid I have to say this with Lane, he's hurt a lot. This isn't yeah. just, wow, he, he got an injury <laughs> and they had to do without him for such a lengthy period of time. No, it seems to be something that pops up each and every single year. So when I give you my evaluation of Lane Johnson as he was four years ago to three years ago to two years ago, I don't really know how much a drop-off there has been in Lane Johnson's play because he's been out of the lineup too often. I don't think it's very much. I think he's very close to as good as he has ever been in this league. I can't say 100% sure of this because... Yeah, he's missed a lot of games. First things first, he's got to get healthy. But I still think he can play at that maybe best right tackle in all the football level. Do you, J.M.? You know, it's an interesting question. I mean, Lane's going to be 31, I think, in May. So we always talk about 30 is a dirty word in the NFL these days. And you're talking about it coming off two surgeries. And, you know, one of the the biggest strengths of Lane as a football player is, is his willingness to push through things. He shouldn't have tried to push through. I think people forget, you know, he had that tightrope surgery in, in training camp. And you remember week one in Washington, they're taking the bus down there and Lane was questionable. He shouldn't have been questionable. He should have been ruled out. He should have been ruled out for six, seven weeks, but that's who he is, and he tried to push through it. He tried to play. He takes that bus down. His ankle swells up, uh, can't go, but he's back the next week. He's in and out of the lineup. Uh, and then ultimately, his and he described it, Jody. If you remember how he described it, it was really bad. And the fact that he said is essentially, you mentioned again with us, his ankle kind of caved in. So he had to have major, major surgery. So I do think we have to wait and see how healthy he is. Now, there's two ways it can go. He can finally get the major surgery. Everything's 100%. Everything's fixed as far as that sort of Band-Aid approach, trying to get through the season. I thought that was a bad approach. Hopefully, this surgery took care of everything, and he'll be 100%. And then I think you get Lane Johnson back for at least a few more seasons. If... It, it's the same as it usually is, and he's trying to piecemeal it, you know, in one week, out another. Yeah, it's going to be an issue. We knew before uh, we punched Lane up that he was doing a bunch of these hits on a diff bunch of different spots. So we only had him for 12, 13 minutes. So we got into questions that we thought were most important. One, we except didn't get a chance to ask him. <laughs> except, and you got the resume, and it was important to you, and that's that makes it important to everybody. Um we didn't get a chance to ask him about his relationship with Harry Roseman. Uh, some major pieces done on the Eagles behind the scenes stuff during this offseason, one of which was kind of detailed about a strained relationship between the Eagles uh, Pro Bowl right tackle and their general manager. It seems like that when they had a big confrontation, it was a couple of years ago, that for the most part it's put behind them. However, and I'll ask you because you understand this stuff better than I do. 
the Eagles had to redo a lot of contracts this offseason, taking as big a dead money cap hit as they did to move on from Carson Wentz. They were already in a very high cap position when the season ended, going forward to this next season as it was. Howie Roseman had to be busy negotiating uh, redone contracts that would give the players more upfront money right away, alleviate the cap hit this year, but potentially cause problems down the road, how he did what he had to do to get the Eagles under the cap and give them just enough space to be able to add some players like they did with Wilson yesterday. One of the players they didn't renegotiate was Lane Johnson. And Lane's got a big enough deal with a lot, enough money involved and tied to it that they could have created cap room by redoing Lane's deal. There was even reports that Lane had offered to redo his contract and the Eagles never got to that stage where they thought, that's where we want to go. That's what we want to do. What do we read into that? That you you would think that you'd want to do that type of a restructuring with a guy that you believe still has two, three, four years left. They specifically stayed away from Lane Johnson. Is there more to be read into that than meets the eye? I don't think so, Jody. A couple things about restructured deals. I mean, essentially, it's no penalty for the player. Essentially, you're getting your money quicker, and, and you just use voidable years on the back end to spread out what you convert a base salary to a signing bonus. Um, so it's just an accounting trick. It doesn't hurt the player at all. The Eagles were in negotiations, if you want to call it that, to, to restructure Lane Johnson because they felt they had to. Now they have it in their pocket. They were able to get under the cap without doing it. And if they need to make um, another move at some point, they'll restructure Lane's deal. The second part of this, and it's difficult to do unless you see the actual wording of the contract. In a lot of modern contracts, you don't even have to get the player's permission anymore to restructure their deal. It's written in there because, it does, again, it doesn't affect the player whatsoever. In fact, it... In some ways, it helps certain players. Now, there are some more fiscally savvy players that would prefer to get their payments sort of spread out so they, they're not susceptible to big spending and something like that. But nonetheless, most people, if you say, well, I'm going to give you all your money up front, they're going to be happy with that. So in a lot of these contracts, it's not even a real negotiation. The team just flicks the switch and gives them uh, converts that salary into a roster bonus and then spreads it out over the length of the contract for cap purposes. So I don't think it's an issue at all. Brandon Graham was in the same situation. Now they extended Brandon Graham. So the difference is when you give somebody an extra year more money, that part of it is a little bit different. Right. And that can come back to haunt them at some point. Uh, I'm glad to hear you say you still think I really don't think when they got Wilson done yesterday and they kept the cost at under three and a half million dollars. I don't there's not a player out there that you'd say, oh, wow, if we go to six or seven million, that could be the difference. That'll get the job done. He'll be a key addition or element to the Philadelphia Eagles. I don't know that that guy even exists anymore. Not so, in free agency at this point, no. but you, you, there are trades. So if, if for some reason. You know, say magically Deshaun Watson gets clear tomorrow, which isn't going to happen. But, you know, then you say, oh, can we create the space to trade for Deshaun Watson if the Texans say, okay, we're out. We got to move him. You, that's, that's the kind of thing I'm talking about. You'd have to maneuver 
things around, create space, and you have that Lane Johnson contract and a couple others in your back pocket that you would be able to do that with. Right, uh, because uh, trades do take place once we get closer to the draft, probably be right around the draft the day before, day one, day two, day three. You're not going to see a major contract move for someone to be able to acquire or move up into a day three draft pick. So it'll be the Friday and the Saturday of that week where trades could come into play. Um, I asked him about Brandon Brooks. He says that uh, it sounds like Brandon's coming along really well, too, and he's looking forward to playing next to him again next year. Uh, that really did decimate the right side of the Eagles line. Uh, unfortunately, like Lane Johnson, Brandon Graham has uh, started to compile a litany of injuries uh, hopefully both are back. Hopefully both are physically fit. Hopefully both can return to their top level of play. Which one do you think has a better chance to get closer to 100% Lane Johnson or Brandon Brooks? Boy, if I had to guess, it would be Lane because I think the ankle's a little bit less serious than two Achilles tears and essentially, you know, three years, less than three years. So that's always a concern when you're talking about big body guys and you're talking about Brandon's 340 at his playing weight Lane's about 320 so both of them any leg injury is is an issue and especially as you age but you know I don't know if you saw the uh, uh, social media stuff Brandon would put out there during his rehab I mean he lost about 70 pounds no uh, yeah, to get uh, in shape, and he was actually, he was ripped. You know, he was unbelievable. I mean, he was cut up, and I think he was trying to lose the weight to, you know, make it a little easier on his Achilles because we saw it in the past with Jason Peters, by the way. He tore an Achilles and then tore the other Achilles uh, a couple of years later. So Jay when you're that – Oh, by the way, Jason never lost 70 pounds ever. No, no, ever. no. Ever. Ever. No, no. But, you know, when you're that big, you're trying to put less stress on, on you know, your legs as you rehab. And now Brandon, you know, Brandon, people forget, in week 17 was back at practice. You know, he wanted – that was – he set his goal. So, you know, his strength as a player is the old road grader. I mean, he's just stronger and bigger and pushes people around. So he needs that weight to be the player he is. Right. So there's, there's a couple things – you got to be concerned about with Brandon Brooks. Does he want to get down to a, to a, you know, 300 pounds? Is he the same player at 300 pounds? I don't know how he could be. Right. And here's the one thing I'll say, if you're telling me 70, I didn't, uh, I, I did think I did see a picture or two, but I didn't realize that the, the weight loss was as significant as you're describing. It's easier to put the weight back on than it is. Oh yeah. It's off. already back. That part's not the problem. Right. So the fact that he's already gone through that process and is still in the process of putting it back on and rebuilding his body and getting it ready to play guard in the off, in the uh, National Football League is a really good sign. I think that that bodes well for him to being able to return to a pretty high level of play that he exhibited earlier in his career. Yeah, no question. Uh, I and, and the fact that Brandon is such a hard worker when it comes to to rehab and things like that. And he's willing to go down and go up and do whatever he needs to do uh, to get his body in the best shape possible. All of that is positive stuff. I mean, you know, uh, 
And but the age concerns you. you have to be realistic. We were talking about Russell Wilson and being drafted 75 overall. Brandon Brooks was 76. So he's been around for a while now in that same draft. So uh, anytime you get post 30, same thing I said with Lane Johnson, uh, you have to start wondering. It generally doesn't go, you know, if you start getting injured in your 30s, Jody, you don't generally start to get healthy as the years move on. That's just, you know, the NFL is a tough game. It's a tough sport. It's a grind. And, you know, it's a young man's game. Let's be honest. Bigger hurdle to climb year in and year out after you start to add those years to your NFL career. He's John McMullen. I'm Jody McDonald. We are your Birds 365 guys. Yet to come today, about 25 minutes from now, uh, Zach Berman's going to join us, outstanding Birds uh, beat reporter from The Athletic. When we come back, I want to talk to John about we've been uh, indulging in conversation on the right-hand side of the Eagles offensive line, two veteran guys who played at the highest of high levels in the league, uh, Lane Johnson, Brandon Brooks. The relationship and how that plays going forward with the new coaching staff, because uh, John, myself, all you Birds fans out there, we've been through the entire career of Lane Johnson and Brandon Brooks since he was acquired. This is a new coaching staff. They're starting with a clean slate now. I think there are upsides to that, and there are potential downsides to that. I'll come back and discuss that with John in just a couple. Stay right here on Birds 365. If you missed any of today's show on the Jacob Media channel, listen to the podcast on your way home. Available on YouTube, Apple, and Spotify. The International Brotherhood of Electrical Workers, Local Union 98, is a proud sponsor of The Labor Show with J. Doc and Krause every Saturday night from 6 to 8 p.m. IBEW Local 98's highly trained and superbly skilled electricians are the best in the business, setting the highest safety standards in the electrical industry. So when you're planning your next industrial, commercial, or residential project, choose an IBEW Local 98 union contractor. Learn more at IBEW98.org. Welcome to the Wildwoods, the perfect place where you can safely do everything or nothing at all. Catch a wave, take a nap, go for a drive, grab a bite. It's your vacation, and we're doing everything we can to make it a safe one. The Wildwoods, your vacation, your way. The, the middle. <laughs> we need a little maze. Wait, wait, yeah. what was the commercial? Yeah, Harry goes, I don't need a little anything. You'd have little Harry or little maze. Little maze. And, and you pull a <laughs> string and it yeah. says, I am out. Or sort of like four or five different maze sayings. Now that's an idea. Did you see a Shander doll? It oh, never yeah. stops talking. No, oh, you don't even God. need to pull the string. The Middle with Aton Shander, Barrett Brooks, and Harry Maze. Weekdays from 11 a.m. to 1 p.m. Eastern. The light from a star can take millions of years to reach Earth. So when you look at a star, you're looking back in time. But I see the future. I see exploration and courage. I see my country finding new horizons out there. And I see giant leaps making a comeback. I see myself. The future is where I'll make history. Jody Mack, 
the legendary sports talker, joins forces with NFL insider John McMullen. Start your morning with Johnny Mac and Jody Mac across the Jacob Media Network. If you missed any of today's show on the Jacob Media channel, listen to the podcast on your way home. Available on YouTube, Apple, and Spotify. Welcome to the Wildwoods, the perfect place where you can safely do everything or nothing at all. Catch a wave, take a nap, go for a drive, grab a bite. It's your vacation. And we're doing everything we can to make it a safe one. The Wildwoods. Your vacation, your way. The, the, the middle. The middle. So, bro, I know we're going to get on that, but I, I, I got to say happy birthdays to the, to the kids in the stream. You know what I'm saying? We, we looking. We checking it out. Happy birthday to your, your kids, man. You know what I'm to saying? To who? The kids, man. I'm watching the stream, man. What stream? It's double birthdays. You got to keep your eyes yeah, off that stream. Yeah, seriously. <laughs> no, you have I mean, a conversation with the stream, and nobody has any idea what you're you talking gotta about. You got to give us That's a heads up. I got to get you hip to it. Because I got to yeah. get you hip to it. No, no, no. We, we have no idea what you're bro. talking about. So now we're in the middle of something, and it's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Happy right. birthday. Happy birthday yeah. to who? I have no idea what was, what's going on right now. I, I can just imagine people listening on Sports Map Radio just like, what did he just say? Who's Play Action Real. Play Action Real. His son, Nick. Happy birthday, bro. All the- right. Now, now everybody's got a birthday. Joey B's daughter, 16 today. Yeah. Calling BS today. Seriously. This is like AC Green selling that he right. was a virgin back with Showtime. The Middle with Aton Shanders, Barrett Brooks, and Harry Mays. Weekdays from 11 a.m. to 1 p.m. Eastern. The International Brotherhood of Electrical Workers, Local Union 98, is a proud sponsor of The Labor Show with J. Doc and Krause every Saturday night from 6 to 8 p.m. IBEW Local 98's highly trained and superbly skilled electricians are the best in the business, setting the highest safety standards in the electrical industry. So when you're planning your next industrial, commercial, or residential project, choose an IBEW Local 98 union contractor. Learn more at IBEW98.org. The future waits for no one, so we refuse to wait for it. We're not just pilots and engineers, we are pioneers. Today, battles are waged in nanoseconds, and planes are piloted from the other side of the world. We turn night into day and fly missions in space. The future's not coming, it's already here. This is the future. Join us and be the future. Jody Mack, the legendary sports talker, joins forces with NFL insider John McMullen. Start your morning with Johnny Mack and Jody Mack across the Jacob Media Network. Hour number two of Birds 365 here with you on the Jacobs Media Network. If you clicked in on the philly.com link, we appreciate you streaming with us. Us being the Mac and Mac guys, John McMullen and Jody McDonald. We got plenty to chat you up with here in hour number two. If you missed hour number one, 
Lane Johnson was good enough to jump aboard with us for a couple of minutes. Uh, Lane sounded in good spirits, looked good. Uh, looks like he's getting ready to rejoin that Eagle offensive line, key component to the Eagles, if they're going to have an improved uh, season this year, uh, as much so as their new quarterback or their new coach. They need to have the strength up front in the trenches, which they just didn't have last year. Hour number two, we're going to get Zach Berman involved. He'll hop aboard, uh, give us what he's seeing with the birds this week and before uh, this year before this hour is over and done with we will get expert analysis on wrestlemania from my partner <laughs> john mcmullen who it's felt probably a, it's probably a friday thing jody uh but you, uh you want to hold off till tomorrow i thought well, we WrestleMania is two days, so I figured your analysis of WrestleMania yeah, probably has to go to well. I don't know if we want to scare that many people off, but I did. You know, I think you had Andrew Goldstein on last night. Was that? Yeah. Is it, yeah. So, you know, he said, how long would I go on Twitter without a wrestling me uh, mention on, on Birds 365, which is on phillyvoice.com, by the way. Right. I want to make sure we get that right. But uh, streaming live at phillyvoice.com. But I think I lasted three days, so I think the over-under was uh, probably two days. Okay. Eh, well, uh, I was uh, giving you an option to jump in and talk some serious WrestleMania today. You want to hold it till tomorrow? That's perfectly fine with me because, yes. <laughs> Whenever you want, Jody. Whenever you want. Both of your hosts for Birds 365 are avid wrestling fans. And, yeah, I... Uh, Here's so was Lane Johnson. Maybe the fans didn't know that. Here's the beauty of it for me. I am, as a Comcast customer, I get Peacock for free. Free, yeah. I do not have to go to the WWE Network to watch WrestleMania this weekend. I can just punch it up on Peacock. So I'll be watching it through a different venue that I'm used to watching it. Uh, I'm on the air on Saturday night while it's on. So unfortunately, uh, a lot of this is going well. To be little on. business news here, Jody. There is no more WWE Network. Right. Peacock. Everything is on Peacock now. So they paid a billion dollars uh, for the rights uh, to to air WWE pay per views. So. Nick Khan, the old agent from CAA, he's the guy when it comes to sports TV rights. He's now the president of WWE. Very nice. So, uh, yes, uh, for you wrestling fans, you've already made the move over to Peacock. You will do so for the biggest pay-per-view of the entire year. That will be WrestleMania, both Saturday and Sunday nights. A night so large that it has be needed to become a two-night affair. Yeah, John and I will give you a breakdown of it. Maybe tomorrow. We'll hold off till mm -hmm. tomorrow. I thought we might get some of it in today. That's perfectly fine. John, here's what I was going to uh, bring up before uh, we took our top of the hour break. The Eagles changed coaching staff. We got uh, Lane's feelings on not being coached by Doug Peterson this year. I thought that he may have actually spoken to him. He said that's not the case, but he certainly laid out his appreciation for Doug, what he meant to his career and bringing a championship to this town, uh, understood that uh, it's a tricky conversation to have, um, but he sounded like a guy who's ready to go back to work for his new coach, that he hasn't had a chance to talk to Nick Sirianni either. He's had, uh, he didn't have a conversation with Doug Peterson. He certainly talked to Jeff Stoutland during the season, but he's very much looking forward to having a chance to face-to-face uh, -face and get into a conversation with Nick Sirianni. The Eagles coaching staff 
a pretty big turnover. Yes, Jeff Stoutland has been here for a period of time, but guys in key positions, the coordinators and the head coach are all new. So what Brandon Brooks has meant to this team, what Lane Johnson has meant to this team, doesn't it mean as much to them as it would to you or I, as somebody who's been around and has been rooting for the team for before Lane Johnson and Brandon Brooks were every year, long, long time. That can cut both ways. It can be both good and bad. Uh, when there is a coaching staff that has been there for the highs and the ultimate accomplishments like winning a Super Bowl, well, then, yes, they're going to go that extra yard to make sure that player's good in a position to succeed, uh, giving them every single chance. When you get a new coach in, they don't have that feeling of attachment to the players because they've achieved levels before with this organization. They're just going to see with their eye what the player has got for me right now, what level they're playing at. They know they're coming off injuries, but how much are they a different player because of the injury? And how much have they, they have to react? It can go either way. There are potential upsides to it. There are potential downsides to it. How does the fact that a new coaching staff in, is in place, how do you think it affects the offensive right side of the Eagles line in Brooks and Johnson? Well, I don't I don't think it's that big of a deal. I, I do think you you your point is a great one. I think it's more uh, about younger players, though. You know, J.J. Ortega Whiteside is a guy I always point out. Fans want to give up on him. It's pretty clear the old coaching staff gave up on him. You know, maybe they should have. Maybe he's just not good enough. But I will say this new coaching staff doesn't have a history with him. They don't know all the bad stuff. So they will give him one more opportunity to say, hey, if you can do it, if you can open our eyes, we'll give you an opportunity. But I do think with proven players like Lane Johnson, Brandon Brooks, Jason Kelsey, Fletcher Cox, Brandon Graham, look, their peers know how good they are. That that's that's what this league is. I was, you know, talking to Kevin Stefanski last year. Um, you know, Philly native, obviously, um, became coach of the year with the Cleveland Browns. You know, he he didn't have a long history with with Brandon Graham. Uh, you know, obviously, he's with the Vikings for the championship game and all that, but. You know, he said, first thing I do as an offensive coach, I, I, I got a game plan for 55. I got to get him blocked. So w when you reach that level, your peers know it. And, it, you know, Nick Sirianni knows about Fletcher Cox. He knows about Lane Johnson. And certainly not just from the fact that Frank Reich was also in Indianapolis and it, his boss. So those kind of guys, look, you, I, I think you get – down the road a little bit with the conversation. I think the bigger conversation is what we just had, the injury concerns, they're past 30. And, you know, at some point, Father Time is the only undefeated uh, fighter in the entire world. Well, Although, except, except Tom, Brady, Tom Brady. Yeah, yeah Tom he's Brady's the only the one who's actually still in there swinging against Father Time. Yeah, Tom Brady's going 15 rounds. He's the first to ever go 15 rounds. But – Father Time's going to beat Tom Brady. Unfortunately, you are right. Well, well not necessarily. Unfortunately, I uh, acknowledge <laughs> he's the greatest of all time. But he's even though he's a buck now and he won the championship with the buck, he'll always be a patriot in my mind. And therefore, I can never root for the guy. Um, uh, the whole relationship of the new coaching staff, errors change. Things can become new again. 
I'll ask you once again. We've gone a couple of days since we started this. And I checked right before we came on the air. Zach Ertz is still a Philadelphia Eagle. Still an Eagle. It has not changed. It has not happened. And I know we still got three weeks to go before the draft. And if there is a trade right around the draft, either before or during or after, there is more of a chance team doesn't get a tight end. They wanted a tight end. All right, fine. We're going to have to make a move. And any draft pick they give the Eagles, the Eagles are going to have to wait 360 days to get their hands on it. But with every passing day, the idea kind of shoots across my mind, well, maybe they got one more year left in them. If the Eagles are staunchly in belief that they have to get something in exchange for Zach Ertz and the league is just not willing to give it to them, can they mend those fences? It is a new coaching staff. I think Zach actually had more problems with the front office than he did the individual coaching staff. That's just my read from afar. I'll let you comment on that in a second. Uh, but new coaching staffs can be mean new outlooks in the life. Uh, if Zach has to come back here to Philadelphia, if the Eagles are going to take a hardline stance, if they're not going to release him and get nothing in exchange for him, when does Nick Sirianni, because he's the guy who can make it happen. That's why I asked the question with Lane Johnson when we had him on. Have you had a chance to talk to Nick? There's going to have to be some serious mending of fences if this is a possibility of happening. How does that process start? Or are you just sticking to, Jody, stop with the process. There's no way Zach Ertz mm -hmm. ever steps on the football field for the Philadelphia Eagles again. Am I still swimming upstream foolishly? I think you're swimming upstream. I, I don't think he's going to be here. I think it's going to be during the draft. I kind of mentioned, you know, that's how you, 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 you attach him to a draft pick. You move up 20 spots. I don't know, third, fourth round, something like that. And then you can sort of spin. There's value to that, uh, getting a player. Ultimately, that's why I think it's, that's the way it's, I think it's going to happen. I hear what you're saying though. I mean, you know, one thing we weren't able to get in to Lane Johnson because we had limited time, as you mentioned, was the the reported rift with Howie Roseman, which, you know, it's not really news. It was a couple of years ago. But I think it 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 gives you an indication of, you know, relationships can be repaired, but it, it all has to do with personality. You know, Yesterday on the show, I mentioned the playoff game with Seattle. That's the crux of this. And the fact that um, Zach went through what he went through to play for this organization and don't think and, and doesn't think it was reciprocated. Um, so I don't know how you get over that. The, the stuff last season, you know, if you remember the report, Jody, where, um, you know, Howie and Zach had a screaming match on the practice field. Well, that's already repaired. That's They're already over that hump. That was about rehabbing. That was about Zach working with personal trainers outside the organization. The organization wanted him uh, to, to sort of go with the plan that they set up. Um, that's just everyday work, and somebody saw it, and it becomes overblown. You know, you've worked at numerous radio stations, um, not everybody gets along every single day. People have bad days. You know, maybe you get in a fight with your significant other, whatever. You know, somebody comes into work with a little bit of a chip on his shoulder and you have a little bit of a screaming match and you both move on. That's what I think that was. 
The bigger issue with Zach Ertz is that playoff game playing through a lacerated kidney, a broken rib, and this Eagles team, you know, they said thanks, but we think you're getting older and we got to go in a different direction, basically, when it came to his contract. And I understand Zach's point of view. That's a very personal thing. Uh, You and I can look at it and analyze it. It's not a personal thing. It's a football thing. As much as we may know, like Zach Ertz and or the Eagles organization, you can separate that and just look at it. I I can't fault the Eagles for not looking to extend Zach Ertz. If they were going to need to do a player-friendly deal, the only deal they could get done with Zach Ertz would be one in which he's getting a lot of money up front. This is prior to this year, we had a big drop-off in production if they had been able to do an extension last year. I personally, from a football standpoint, didn't think the Eagles mishandled the situation. I didn't think they owed it to Zach Ertz. I didn't think it was a, uh uh-oh, before you know it, we're going to get into a position where Zach's uh, worth could drop off the table. I thought they played their cards right from a football uh, standpoint, and I don't think they did Zach Ertz dirty. Do you, or do you think they mishandled the situation and they should have gotten something done? Well, I think there's two ways to look at it. This is a tough industry. you got to make tough decisions. Howie Roseman actually said that to me when I asked him about Zach. He called himself the bad cop. Sometimes you got to be the bad cop. Sometimes it's not all – you know, that's the most difficult thing, I think, in sports, not just the NFL, Jody, but sports in general. Do you pay a guy for what he did, or do you pay a guy for what he's going to do? In right. certain instances, my best example of this would be Derek Jeter at the end of his career with the Yankees. In certain in- instances, you pay the guy for what he did because he's such a giant in your industry and you want him to be part of your organization until it's over. Let's be honest. Derek Jeter wasn't the player he was at the end of his career. Yankees kept paying him for, you know, I think obvious reasons. And is Zach Ertz that type of guy for the Philadelphia Eagles? He's close. This is almost the all-time leading receiver uh, for the Eagles. If you could argue, we all expected him to break Harold Carmichael's record last year. Um, if he had a normal, typical Zach Ertz year, do you extend him another year or two? Um, that's that's sports. I, I would argue he earned it by what he did in that Seattle game. But you're right. From an analytical standpoint, you're paying him for what he did, not, not what he's going to do. And that is where Howie's being the bad cop and saying, this is probably it for you. You're not going to be the same player. And that was, unfortunately, before the season even kicked in when Zach Ertz's production went backwards for the first time, basically since his Eagle career started. All right, uh, one Eagle, it's not really a transaction, but a move that uh, affects the Philadelphia Eagles because they're going to need to get another quarterback at the end of the year. Zach, uh, excuse me, Nate Sudfeld was a free agent. Most of us believe this was probably time. The unstoppable Nate Sudfeld. I I hope Jeffrey Lurie's watching on phillyvoice.com. That was an outstanding impersonation by you, uh, Jeff Lurie. Um, Yeah, Nate Sudfeld signed elsewhere. That is just one of many things we're going to talk about with our next guest, Zach Berman from The Athletic, is going to join us to talk Philadelphia Eagles football right here on Birds 365. If you missed any of today's show on the Jacob Media channel, listen to the podcast on your way home. Available on YouTube, Apple, and Spotify. 
The International Brotherhood of Electrical Workers, Local Union 98, is a proud sponsor of The Labor Show with J. Doc and Krause every Saturday night from 6 to 8 p.m. IBEW Local 98's highly trained and superbly skilled electricians are the best in the business, setting the highest safety standards in the electrical industry. So when you're planning your next industrial, commercial, or residential project, choose an IBEW Local 98 union contractor. Learn more at IBEW98.org. Welcome to the Wildwoods, the perfect place where you can safely do everything or nothing at all. Catch a wave, take a nap, go for a drive, grab a bite. It's your vacation, and we're doing everything we can to make it a safe one. The Wildwoods. Your vacation, your way. The, the middle. <laughs> we need a little maze. Wait, wait, yeah. what was the commercial? Yeah, Harry goes, I don't need a little anything. You'd have Lil Harry or Lil Maze. Lil Maze. And, and you pull a <laughs> string and it yeah. says, I am out. Or sort of like four or five different maze sayings. Now that's an idea. Did you see a Shander doll? It oh, never yeah. stops talking. No, oh, you don't even need to pull the string. The middle with Aton Shander, Barrett Brooks, and Harry Maze. Weekdays from 11 a.m. to 1 p.m. Eastern. The light from a star can take millions of years to reach Earth. So when you look at a star, you're looking back in time. But I see the future. I see exploration and courage. I see my country finding new horizons out there. And I see giant leaps making a comeback. I see myself. The future is where I'll make history. Jody Mack, the legendary sports talker, joins forces with NFL insider John McMullen. Start your morning with Johnny Mack and Jody Mack across the Jacob Media Network. Welcome back to Birds 365 edition four as we get this new Eagles talk stream underway. Yes, at some point they're actually going to start playing games, but we're enjoying the offseason. We've got actual news to talk today about a couple of Eagle moves, which is added to the conversation. And we're going to add to it even more because we're going to bring in a third voice. Better yet, a third talking head. Better yet, a head that actually has some hair on it. We had Lane Johnson earlier. Unfortunately, he, like McDonald and McMullen, uh, follically challenged. Not the case with the next guy to join the show. Outstanding beat reporter for the Eagles for the Athletic. Zach Berman joins us here on uh, Birds 365. How much product do you have in the hair today, Zach Berman? <laughs> I have no product, but I wish I can pull off those hats. I, yeah. I can't quite do that. <laughs> you can do anything, Zach. <laughs> Congratulations on the show, by the way. Thank you, Zach. Uh, real, you know, obviously big news, eh, not big news, but significant news for the Eagles yesterday, bringing in signing Eric Wilson, who uh, was a three-down linebacker for the Vikings after Anthony Barr got injured last season. I think a lot of people put that connection together early in the process because of Jonathan Gannon's history with Mike Zimmer plus Nick Rollis was the assistant linebacker coach in Minnesota. How do you think that that fits in for the Eagles? And 
and, and a shift at linebacker. I think they're going to put more value in that position. Yeah, I, I think it was a good signing. Frankly, if, if they made this signing the first week of free agency, I, I would have said it, it was a sensible move. I thought at the, at the time he was going to require more years and more money. To get him on a one-year deal at the figure they uh, got him at, it, it represents good value. Uh, there's a clear need there. I, I understand there can be a degree of skepticism given the Eagles' ill-fated recent history signing free agent linebackers. I frankly think this move is closer to Nigel Bradham in 2016 than, say, Corey Nelson in 2018. The reason I say that is because he, he has starting experience, like John mentioned. He also has that familiarity with the scheme, like John mentioned, and that's comparable to Nigel Bradham coming in in the Jim Schwartz's scheme. So I think this is a player who's going to step in and be the number one linebacker. And he was, I, I mean, my colleague, Shil Kapadia, who, uh, who, who ranks 150 unrestricted free agents, had Wilson number 83 overall, had him as the fifth off-ball linebacker. So I, I think it was a good move for the Eagles. Uh, John and I talked about this in hour number one, Zach, because I was, I won't say shocked, but pretty damn surprised the Eagles were able to get him on a one-year contract under $3.5 million. Most people were projecting, as you said, multi-year and a higher base salary than what he's going to make this year. So I said, what did I miss? I don't watch the Vikings week in and week out. I don't have game film on uh, Wilson and then what he did or didn't do for the Vikings. The numbers say damn, this guy can play, uh, passes intercepted, forced fumbles, sacks for loss, uh, INTs. The numbers are great, 122 tackles. There's got to be something that says he's got to only settle for a one-year deal. And John told me he's not great at stopping the run. He's not a guy who's going to come up into the hole one-on-one, be able to take a ball carrier down. He doesn't necessarily shed blocks when offensive linemen get to the second level. But the Eagles have a better defensive line than the Vikings did last year. I think he's got a chance to be better here than he was in Minnesota. Do you? Yeah, first off, that's fair. You know, that that the market tells you something, right? When a player lingers and, and this is what they signed for, that, that's the lead telling you that. I, I, I also think it's the nature of free agency this year. This is something I think the Eagles anticipated that the top free agents were going to get paid. And then maybe that middle tier, that middle class will be signing one-year deals to try to, to get back in the market next year when there's more money to go around. So I, I think it was a product of that. As, as far as him being better in, in this Eagles defense, it's hard to say because I, I do think there's still some ambiguity about what this defense will look like. I agree he'll have a better defensive line in front of him than what he had in Minnesota last year when they were really ravaged by injuries and opt-outs. Uh, that being said, um, I, I, you know, he's, he's on the right track. He's an emerging player. Last year was his first year as a full-time starter, uh, and the opportunity is present. Uh, but, you know, it, it, he, he has to do it, and, and we'll see how he looks on the field. You know, Zach, I, I brought up Nick Rollis, who uh, is the linebackers, the Eagles' new linebackers coach. Uh, I think he's 27, the same age as Alex Singleton. That's been a storyline throughout yeah. the offseason. The entire coaching staff uh, is very young, uh, not a lot of experience at certain positions. Uh, we don't know a lot about Nick Sirianni right now, except he's got a lot of energy and the limited time. But you you kind of dove deeper into his background, uh, talked to his family. What do you get a sense of, of, of what we're getting with Nick Sirianni? 
I think you're getting, uh, obviously, an energetic coach, a passionate coach. I think that's something that the Eagles particularly valued. You know, I've spoken to to the people who, who played for him when he was an assistant coach at IUP. Uh, so, you know, you're talking about D3, small colleges. A player tore his ACL, and Nick Sirianni had him stay in his house with him, picked him up at the hospital. Uh, and you heard Jeffrey Lurie talk about that, and it can be I, – I, I should say you heard Jeffrey Lurie talk about how much he cares about his players and the relationship with his players, and that can be somewhat hokey, but I, I think in Sirianni's case that is something that they particularly valued, that relationship with the players. And like John mentioned, in terms of the age of the coaching staff, that was intentional for the Eagles. I, I do think they looked at this model around the league of what you're seeing in – Los Angeles with Sean McVay, San Francisco with Kyle Shanahan, uh, Green Bay with Matt LaFleur. You're, you're, you're seeing some of these younger coaches and some of these younger coaching staffs and the benefits to that. So uh, that is intentional, and I, I think that's what the Eagles are, are, are getting, someone fresh, someone young, someone energetic, uh, but he is going to have to grow on the job here. Zach, the Eagles at this stage during the offseason, coming in, you know, during the offseason, free agency is to fill holes. Some of that is depth. You're just going to try and round out your roster, make sure if and when you do have injuries, you have guys who aren't necessarily starters, part-time players who you can ask to play a bigger role. You try and have as few actual starting holes that you want to fill. The Eagles had a couple this offseason. I think they filled one at the safety position. I think they filled one at linebacker yesterday. There's certainly an argument to be made that they need to fill a starting quarterback position. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you can do it with your first round pick. You might not get the exact player you want. You might only get the third or fourth best when you're picking where the Eagles are picking, depending on if there's a run in the draft. Uh, they have not been able to make a cornerback signing of significance this offseason. How are they going to fill it? Are they just going to believe that Avante Maddox is going to be able to play outside again? Are they going to make a trade? Is it a foregone conclusion that their first round draft pick is going to be a cornerback. I still see a glaring need on this team for upgraded cornerback. How's it going to get filled? The draft in particular, you know, they'll draft, in, in my opinion, more than one corner, right? So that's a clear area. And in first round, when you go down from 6 to 12, you're really in a sweet spot in terms of corners. Not to say they're definitely going to take one in the first round, but I I, I would be surprised if a cornerback is is – not picked in the first two rounds by the Eagles. Uh, and and then thereafter, I think they're going to be opportunistic uh, when it comes to acquiring the players. I, I don't think they're focused right now on having this depth chart complete on April 8th or even on April 30th, right? I, 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 I look back to 2017 when this time of the year I was asking Howie Roseman about running back. I was asking Howie Roseman about cornerback. Uh, and they didn't address either of those holes really during free agency. They – uh, in the draft, the, the, the running back market didn't work the way they wanted. They go out, they sign LeGarrette Blunt a month later. Uh, cornerback, that stretched all the way into training camp when they traded for Ronald Darby. So I, I think the way they're looking at it is that the team building, particularly at this transition period that they're in, is, is more you know throughout the entire offseason as opposed to trying to fill these holes in March. And by the way, you mentioned 2017. I want to, you know, Zach wrote his book, Underdogs, and it is the spring, and Mother's Day is coming up, Father's Day is coming up, birthday. So 
anybody who has an Eagles fan, I recommend that book. It's the best look at the Eagles Super Bowl season. And I want to bring that up, Zach, because you mentioned. By the way, is that book behind him? Can he? <laughs> it is. <laughs> I'm going right to take, yeah. take a wild yeah. guess and say it's readily handy for us. Yes. Oh, very good. Yes. Absolutely. And you buy it at Amazon, wherever you get your books. Yeah. But, Zach, um, obviously 2017, and I think we have to talk about it. We got to go back because we have you with Carson Wentz. How did we get here? Three calendar years yeah. off a Super Bowl 52 championship, and the head coach is gone, and the franchise quarterback is gone. I know we could do a eight-hour show on just that, but, you know, one or two bullet points of how you think we got here. John, similar to you, I've asked that question to so many people, uh, and I haven't really heard a definitive answer yet, right? I think there's, frankly, a lot of disbelief uh, around the league um, about how they got here. There's um, there's a few things I, I would look at. First off, uh, you know, they, they did not build their roster well in the subsequent years. And they would tell you that the, it, it's because of the strategy. They were, they were trying to sneak more into that window. I don't think it was the strategy. I think it was the execution. I, I, I think they – I mean, they've had the picks, right? They've had the money to spend. They just haven't done it as well. And uh, when you miss on draft picks and you miss on free agent signings, it's hard to cover that up. And I, I, I think that's how the roster – got older and untalented right there 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 were some short-term trades that they made but i i don't think that's what hurt them as much as missing on some of those first and second round picks or at least not getting the returns that they needed on those first and second round picks and, and then the other thing is that uh if 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 carson wentz was mediocre last year right like if he was a league average quarterback the conversation's different maybe the people in the building right now are different um Quarterback play can obscure a lot of the problems. And when the quarterback does not play at that level and the regression from Carson Wentz was real and it was tough for the Eagles to handle and, and, and clearly it got to a point where both sides uh, were looking for something different. But when the quarterback plays like that and you don't have the other pieces around, uh, that's what happens. So I, it's the, the shame in it is that they won the Super Bowl with a second-year coach. They had a 25-year-old franchise quarterback, and they had flexibility in the in the future years. I don't think anyone in the building foresaw a situation where where we would be talking here, and they wouldn't have the quarterback, and they wouldn't have the coach, and and uh, they would be picking in the top ten, or with a pick earned in the top ten, I should say. Zach, we know part of your job, our jobs, uh, anyone who follows the Eagles, even our listeners and streamers and the like, they all like to play along with the general manager and uh, second guess moves and the like. We haven't talked to you here on the show, certainly been reading all your coverage of the Eagles leading up to the draft, dropping down from number six to number 12. Get the concept, get future draft picks in exchange for it. Uh, I, I understand the thinking behind it. But then you come back to the reality. The player that you get at 12 is not going to be as good as the player that's taken at six. Or at least in theory, that's the case. But then it'll play itself out over the next two, three, four, five years. People will start second guessing on draft day. How could they do this? They've already lost out. Well, we need it to play out. Who's going to be the guy that is picked at number six and or seven and or still on the board when the Eagles could have made the selection? that people are going to complain about most, that the Eagles had the chance to take this guy and passed on it when they traded down. Who's the one that's going to 
caused most of the stir here in Philadelphia. Good question. If, if Jamar Chase is there at six, I think that's the player. Um, I personally think Kyle Pitts uh, is, is a special talent and uh, a local guy, a Philadelphia guy. It's a, it would have been a, fu- a fun story for us to talk about. Um, now, you know, there's some question there about the value of a top 10, uh, of the value of a tight end in the top 10. But I, I think that if, 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 if you said to me who in this draft has the best chance of being a Hall of Fame player, you know, one of the elite players at his position, then I, I would say Kyle Pitts is, is that player. And, and so there's a chance that the Eagles won't have the opportunity to draft a player who has that upside. Uh, now, that being said, I, I can't knock the Eagles too much because I, I try to say if I was in Howie Rosen's position, what would I do? And I, I would have taken this trade. I would have gotten the extra first-round pick given the stage of where they are in, in, in the roster-building process in figuring out who their quarterback is. Having that optionality is particularly important. Um, but you are absolutely right, Jody. What the Eagles lack the most right now is blue-chip talent. And your chance of hitting on a blue-chip player is – at number, it's much better at number six than at number 12. Yeah, Zach, I keep coming back to value when it comes to the Eagles. And I, I've mentioned to Jody in the past, I really go back to Andy Reid in 1999 because I think that's where the modern generation of the Philadelphia Eagles sort of got their foundation. And, and the fact that Andy believed the old quote, you know, give me two tackles, two defensive yep. ends, a quarterback, two cornerbacks, and I'll figure out the rest. And then I look at the history from 99 forward. Anytime this team's been in the top half of the draft, forget about top 10, top half, 16 or above, it's been quarterback, offensive line, defensive line. Does that change or do they default? And is that the reason how he came back along with the optionality? Obviously, in case you want to get a quarterback next year, are we looking at a quitty pay? And how upset would this fan base be if Kyle Pitts, the Archbishop Wood kid, goes to the Dallas Cowboys? Well, you're absolutely right <laughs> about this this team building philosophy, and 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 that hasn't changed, right? And you are right too that if you're picking at six, unless you like Sewell or Rashawn Slater, and and you're going offensive line, there there wasn't that pass rusher who you're going to take it at number six. Um, and I don't think that they were in a spot for a quarterback there either. Uh, so if you're looking at that team building philosophy, it probably wasn't going to work there at six and it, it, it makes more sense at 12. Uh, so I can absolutely see them going past rusher. And, and, and frankly speaking, that's a long-term need here. Brandon Graham is getting older. Um, as, as we know, Derek Barnett and Josh Sweat are both entering the final years of their contracts. I, I, I imagine one will be back beyond 2021. Uh, but, it, it is something you need to look at long-term and an outstanding pass rusher is definitely worth, you know, that, that, that type of pick, but you, you, you can't force it because of the, of, 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 of the position. And it's an odd year in the draft this year where the, the top of the draft is, is so saturated with offensive players and in particular skill players. And you just don't have the top level defensive players that you had in the past, right? If 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 we were on this show two years ago, I I would say the Eagles would have their pick of defensive linemen at, at number twelve. That was such a deep defensive line class. It's not the case this year, and so you you really need to have conviction in the player. As far as Kyle Pitts going to Dallas, uh, that would be a really difficult scenario for the Eagles 
if for the next decade or so, Eagles fans are watching CeeDee Lamb and Kyle Pitts back-to-back first-round picks uh, in that offense. If that's the case and you get down to uh, the pick before the Cowboys are ready to hand in their card, does Howie Roseman do it about face? and try and trade back up. You assume that a guy like Pitts is going to be off the board before 10 and 11, where the division rivals Cowboys and uh, Giants both pick. Is there any chance the Eagles get aggressive after moving backwards, actually move back up on draft day in the first round? It's it's hard for me to say specifically with Pitts because I, I, I'll, I'll, I'll be honest. I don't know their evaluation of him. And I, I've spoken to smart people who really question the value of a tight end that high. They look at the history of tight ends that high. And also they say, look at the Eagles roster. You know, if, if, if there's one position where they have a guy who you can build around, it's, it's at tight end. That being said, my personal opinion is that given where the Eagles are, they cannot even consider their depth chart when they make this pick. The, if, if a tight, you know, you don't pass on a guy if, if, if you think he can be, a top-of-the-league player because Dallas Goddard's on your roster. You don't pass on if, – if there's a left tackle who you think can be a franchise left tackle, you don't pass because Jordan Maialata showed promise and Andre Dillard showed promise. The only the, – your North Star, if you will, here is who has the chance to be a top-of-the-league player and take him. I think Kyle Pitts can be that player, but I'm not paid to make those decisions. All right, let me follow that up. Um, I don't think this is going to happen. If it does – I'll scream bloody murder because I'm such a huge fan of the player. There is a possibility that Justin Fields could fall all the way to number 12. I think it's highly unlikely. You want me to put a percentage point on it? A 0.5% less than one, but it's not a zero. If he were to fall down, is that a guy that you would go, yeah, we are going to stay to our board, take the best available player, not be uh, depth chart specific, or is there absolutely zero chance they take a quarterback in the first round? What will happen if Justin Fields comes all the way down to number 12? Well, if if it was me, I would run that card in, right? Like, Because I, I, I think very highly of Justin Fields, which what he did against Clemson this year, uh, yeah. a few people would do that. Uh, that being said, I, I, I think if, if, if the Eagles were intrigued enough with the quarterback class here or with the possibility they could land one, they would have tried to trade up from six as opposed to down from six, right? I, I think either the, their evaluation was these quarterbacks are going one, two, three, four, which I still think is going to happen, by the way. And, and frankly speaking, it, it might not be shocking if it's one, two, three, four, five, right? If, if a team tries to trade up with Cincinnati. Um, but I either they thought the quarterbacks were going top four or they didn't like the quarterbacks beyond, you know, the top two guys. Um, so there's I, – I can't tell you right now which one it is, but I think if the Eagles were in the quarterback market, they would have stayed at six or they would have traded up. They wouldn't have traded down. If, it, if the scenario outlines there and, and it, it, it's, you know, something happens where field slips, then you absolutely must be opportunistic. And, and uh, But it, it really all depends on your evaluation of the player – and uh, uh, trust me when I say this, the way I think of players has been a lot different than the way they think of players over the past few years sometimes. Zach, you mentioned running up with that card, and I, I want to tie that into the, the coaching staff and go back to that because it's a, it's a new group. I think one of the legit, legitimate criticisms you could have of Doug Peterson's staff over the past couple of seasons is the lack of player development. I do think 
that too many fans say you, you hand that card in and you get a good player or a bad player. At what point do we have to look at the assets that this team has put into the receiver position? Jalen Rager, first round pick. And by the way, two, two more picks at wide receiver. Quez Watkins, John Hightower later in the draft. J.J. Ortega-Whiteside, second round in 2019. At what point does this team say, we have to develop what we have because we have other holes? I know everybody wants yeah. playmakers, but do they got to get these guys ramped up more than thinking about adding other bodies to that wide receiver room? It's a great point. And uh, the, the way I'll, I'll answer the question is, is, is this. Uh, last year in the free agent market, Nelson Aguilar and Ronald Darby had to sign one-year low-cost show-me deals after playing for the Eagles. Now, I know they were coming off injuries and whatnot, but that was tied to performance as well. This year, after playing elsewhere, both players got paid significantly. Uh, so the way you look at that is what was happening and, – and, and by the way, those are both significant positions of, of need for the Eagles. They, they would be very well-suited to have – a mid-20s wide receiver and mid-20s cornerback right now worth that type of money. So were they not developed well in Philadelphia or were they not used well in Philadelphia or both? And this is a question that the Eagles really must ask themselves because when you have players in the building at positions of need who are playing better elsewhere than in your system, um, that's that's a problem. Uh, and uh, so – I, I think maybe the Eagles would say their evaluation of, of the player was right. The way they were used wasn't correct. Obviously, football's not baseball where a third baseman for the Yankees can play third base for the Phillies and it's, it's apples for apples. You know, the, 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 the schemes are, are different. The systems are different. Um, that being said, I, I, I do think it's a, it's a legitimate uh, concern that John brought up, and it's something the Eagles must be honest with themselves about. Zach, uh, if I put this question to my partner, Johnny Mack, I know what his answer would be. He's kind of already tipped his hand there, but I need your answer. The thing that you will remember the Nate Sudfeld era most for is what? I mean, I, I would say being the backup quarterback in the Super Bowl, right? That if that he was uh, a chin strap away from playing against Tom Brady in the Super Bowl. Now, I, I understand uh, that Week 17 game this year, Frankly speaking, I think of that Week 17 game in 2017 when you know when when they sat falls because because we saw him during an ex extended period. But when I think of Sudfeld, I I think of the fact that uh, that the Eagles were willing to go into a Super Bowl with this guy as their backup. That at, at at the time that was a big story, right? When Carson goes down, it was are you going to sign someone to back up Nick in case Nick goes down? Uh, and the fact that they didn't do it, so. I, I, I covered Sudfeld's entire time here, and I, I, I think about the fact that they went into the Super Bowl with him as the backup. See, you're wanted, way, way too wanted, nice a guy. Yeah. Berman, you're way too nice a guy. I'm <laughs> sorry. It's about week 17 last year, and it, it was part of the decision. I'm not going to say the number one thing, but it had to be part of the decision as to why Doug Peterson's no longer here. So Doug Peterson getting fired because of Nate Sudfeld's contribution Certainly outweighs. He sat on the bench. Uh, in the I don't well, you see, the, yeah, yeah, Jody. That's where I disagree yeah. with you. I, I don't yeah. think Doug Peterson was making that decision. No. I, I don't think Doug. I don't think Doug Peterson was 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 doing that unilaterally, right? Like that's I think that, Doug lied to us when Doug said it was my decision and my decision alone. He looked right in the camera. He looked right in your eyes and lied <laughs> to you, Berman. <laughs> I, I I mean I I think Doug. 
I I think Doug took a lot of swords when he or or fell in a lot of swords when he, he was, did. He yeah. did. That's part of the yeah. job in Philadelphia, yeah. Jody. Um, I thought he was. I thought he wanted you to go unstoppable, which Jeffrey Lurie told <laughs> that, That's where McCullough would have gone. I know, yeah. so. Yeah. But, you know, it's interesting, Nate, you know, people joke about it. He was a great locker room guy when we were in the locker room, Zach. He, he yep. had a tremendous relationship with Carson Wentz and Nick Bowles. Mm -hmm. um, you know, that chemistry of that 2017 group uh, was phenomenal. It was off the charts. How big how, how big an impact, again, go back to your book, Underdogs, how big of an impact does that locker room culture have on successful teams? It's 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 absolutely significant. That being said, it's like the chicken and the egg argument, right? Like, do you have a good team because the culture is good, or do you have a good culture because you have a good team? Um, and I, I I don't I don't know what the answer is there uh, because uh, I mean clearly they they found the right mix of players that year. They they had a, a, a group of like highly motivated players at, at certain points in, in their career, and it just all worked well together. Uh, but I, I do think that, that the Eagles kind of thought they found a secret sauce and it clearly wasn't the case. Right. Uh, so yeah, the, 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 the locker room chemistry is, 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 is significant. It's, it's obviously something that teams must factor in, but I think oftentimes winning is what creates that more than the than the locker room creates the winning. Zach, last one for me. And I'm kind of split on this because as a member of the media, I love when guys like yourself and Johnny Mack and guys who cover the team unearth conversations and speculate and project things to happen before they actually happen. As a former general manager's son, I yeah. like when teams keep their information to themselves and stuff doesn't get out. I had not heard speculation on the Wilson signing or the re-signing of Howard. And kudos to the Eagles for doing that. We've still got two more weeks before the draft. Uh, is there a signing of significance? Is there a free agent move to be made now between now and the draft? Or is it just going to say uh, be we've got 11 picks. We're going to move them. We're going to shake them. We're going to come away with X amount of players. Our next major roster step is going to be with the draft. Which one more likely? Uh, well, I, I think similar to the Wilson signing, they're going to be opportunistic, right? If, if they can get a cornerback at the right price, they will pounce on it. Um, and I, I, so I, I think it really depends what the price is. I think for a lot of these free agents, they're going to wait to see how the draft shakes because there are going to be teams. Like I said, the Eagles were in 2017 at, at running back when the board doesn't fall the way they want at a position. And then, and then they're going to go after it. I think I saw a comment from Richard Sherman that he's probably going to sign somewhere after the draft because, you know, uh, teams see what their depth chart is after the draft. I, I, I don't think the Eagles are, are going to be making a move of significance before the draft. Uh, that being said, if, if if you can get a starting caliber player at $3 million, I think they would jump on it. All right, Zach, last one from me, and I appreciate you joining us here at Burt's 365. We have Lane Johnson on in the first hour. I look at that offensive line, I say to myself, if this team is going to overachieve, if, if they are, because there's not a lot of high expectations right now, but I look at that offensive line, and granted there's age and injuries, but if you have Lane Johnson and Brandon Brooks and Jason Kelsey, and then obviously Isaac and whoever wins left tackle, that's a pretty good foundation if they're playing at what they're capable of playing. Could you see the Eagles doing more than expected um, because of that offensive line? 
Sure. I, I would say offensive and, and, and defensive line is, is that the strengths of this team are on the lines. And if, and if you're of the opinion, like the, the Joe Banner school of thought that, that look at the lines and the teams with the best lines are the teams that are going to win, uh, then uh, certainly the Eagles can be better than, than, than people think. Now, there should be a degree of skepticism that they can stay healthy with that group um, because the track record's not there of, of them staying healthy and, and they're obviously getting older. But if, if their offensive line and their defensive line stays healthy, regardless of what their skill players look like, regardless of what their back seven looks like, regardless of the way the quarterback plays, I think they're, they're going to at least be a competitive team because when you can block the quarterback and you can rush the quarterback, uh, you can win games in this league. We booked them before we knew the Eagles were going to make a couple of moves. So it was kind of fortuitous that we had Zach on. Zach, we may book you again and know full well the Eagles are going to make a signing the day thereafter. <laughs> uh, but we'll probably get you on again before the draft happens three weeks from now. We appreciate you coming on with us today. Thanks so much, bud. Anytime. Glad to do it. That is Zach Berman, outstanding uh, beat reporter for the Athletic here in town. John McMullen, Jody McDonald, coming back. We'll uh, put a bow on the show. One last segment of Birds 365 here on Day 4 Edition. Stick around with us. If you missed any of today's show on the Jacob Media channel, listen to the podcast on your way home. Available on YouTube, Apple, and Spotify. Welcome to the Wildwoods. The perfect place where you can safely do everything or nothing at all. Catch a wave, take a nap, go for a drive, grab a bite. It's your vacation, and we're doing everything we can to make it a safe one. The Wildwoods. Your vacation, your way. The, the, the middle. The middle. So, bro, I know we're going to get on that, but I, I, I got to say happy birthdays to the, to the kids in the stream. You know what I'm saying? We, we looking. We checking it out. Happy birthday to your, your kids, man. You know what I'm to saying? To who? The kids, man. I'm watching the stream, man. What stream? It's double birthdays. You got to keep your eyes yeah, off that stream. Yeah, seriously. <laughs> no, you have a conversation with the stream, and nobody has any idea what you're talking about. You got to give us a heads up. Get you hip to it. Because they get you hip to it. No, no, no. We I have no idea what you're talking bro. about. So now we're in the middle of something, and it's like, whoa, whoa, whoa! Happy right. birthday! Happy birthday yeah. to who? I have no idea what was, I, what's going on right now. I, I can just imagine people listening on Sports Map Radio, just like, what did he just say? Who's he play action real? Play action real. His son Nick. Happy birthday, bro! And All then, right. Now, now everybody's got a birthday. Joey B's daughter, uh, sixteen today. Yeah. I mean, Calling BS. Today. Seriously, this is like AC Green selling that he right. was a virgin back with Showtime. The middle with Aton Shander, Barrett Brooks, and Harry Mays. Weekdays from 11 a.m. to 1 p.m. Eastern. The International Brotherhood of Electrical Workers, Local Union 98, is a proud sponsor of The Labor Show with J. Doc and Krause every Saturday night from 6 to 8 p.m. IBEW Local 98's highly trained and superbly skilled electricians are the best in the business, setting the highest safety standards in the electrical industry. So when you're planning your next industrial, commercial, or residential project, choose an IBEW Local 98 union contractor. Learn more at IBEW98.org. The future waits for no one, so we refuse to wait for it. We're not just pilots and engineers. We are pioneers. Today, battles are waged in nanoseconds, and planes are piloted from the other side of the world. We turn night into day and fly missions in space. The future's not coming. It's already here. This is the future. Join us and be the future. D-A-T-L-E-S! 
Jody Mack, the legendary sports talker, joins forces with NFL insider John McMullen. Start your morning with Johnny Mack and Jody Mack across the Jacob Media Network. Coming down the home stretch on edition four of Birds 365, Jody McDonald, John McMullen, your Mac and Mac guys. Running out of time for this edition. We'll have another one for you tomorrow, which we assure you will be just as good as today's. Uh, one thing, Johnny Mac, we didn't get enough time to really jump in depth to, but I do want to touch on touch base on it, probably because it did break yesterday when we were on there. At the very later stages of our show, you noticed that the report was out there that uh, the much ballyhooed retirement of Jim Schwartz went by the boards. Uh, they decided to stay in the National Football League as a senior defensive consultant for the Tennessee Titans. Uh, you got to go down to all the media availabilities when Schwartz was the defensive coordinator here. All in all, I thought he did a good job when he was here. Not outrageously great, not Buddy Ryan-like, not Bud Carson-like, but pretty darn good and solid. A lot of metrics say the Eagle defense during his tenure was pretty good. <clears throat> I have one thing about the Jim Schwartz area in Philadelphia that annoyed me greatly. Let's see if you and I are on the same page with this. Is there anything that the Jim Schwartz era rubbed you the wrong way about while he was in charge of the defense here in town? No, I love Jim Schwartz. I'm a Jim Schwartz guy. He's one of the smartest football people I've ever met. Uh, very, look, I know he rubs a lot of people the wrong way. Very self-assured. Um, you know, I wrote about that on phillyvoice.com. It's going to be out today. Uh, about what he was. I think he's every bit the defensive coordinator of those guys you mentioned. I think the era of football has changed. I think he's one of the best defensive coordinators. You know, he's been around here. He's been around this league for 25 years, um, over 25 years. Bill Belichick got him started. Bill Belichick swears by him. Um, look, it's all about offense. This is a different – this is not Buddy Ryan's era. This is not Buddy Carson's era. You aren't allowed to do what you did back then in defensive football. So I was like, Jim's a bottom-line guy, and he always says, forget about everything. You know, how many points did we give up? Did we win the game? Uh, he had a top-10 defense from a scoring uh, – from a points-allowed average. This team never had top-10 defensive talent. And I can tell you, behind the scenes, Shody – a lot of the Eagles' mentality during the Jim, Jim Swartz, Doug Peterson era was Jim will figure it out. That's how much respect they had for him. But I will say this as well. He knew what was coming. He said he was going to contemplate retirement. He was never contemplating retirement. He knew what was coming because he's that guy. He was here for 25 years uh, in the NFL for over 25 years. He understands the landscape. Understood. And that's why he ended up in Tennessee. We'll see what kind of an influence he has there. I'll tell you what bothers me. Uh, yeah, you and I will have to spend uh, 15 minutes, 20 minutes, half an hour at some point in the future arguing Bud Carson, Jim Johnson, Jim Schwartz. Great, great coordinators, different era, different era of football. It's got to be graded differently. You know, Great, that, great 
pretty darn good. That yeah. would be the way I would rate them. Knowing that their errors are different, there's different ways to judge them. The way I judge them, uh, very good, great, pretty good. Uh, Carson in the Johnson. Well, as, the as defensive coordinators, I would say great, 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 great. I think yeah. they're all great. But I think he's in that conversation as one of the best defensive minds of his generation. That, to me, is great. And if Bill Belichick swears by it, all right, I'm uh, checking the box. Yeah, Bill Belichick also swore by some of his assistants who have gone on to accomplish not a whole hell of a lot after they left. That's a good point. That's a good point. But so, uh, uh, Bill doesn't get to decide for me how great a coach is around the National Football League. I got a head coach. Bill, and he's uh, the greatest of all time, but uh, his disciples have not all gone on to bigger and better things because Bill said so. But no, but a lot of them were great coordinators. Like I would tell you, Josh McDaniels is a great coordinator. I wouldn't let him coach my team for a million years as a head coach. I think a lot of his guys weren't good head coaches for the exact reason a lot of Andy Reid's guys are. And I mentioned this earlier in the week. Andy, Andy takes pride in that. Bill is like, you know, I'm not going to give you the keys to the kingdom. Fair enough. Here's the thing that uh, bothered me about Schwartz. You made the point that they had a top 10 scoring defense, but they have never had top 10 talent. Well, one of the reasons they didn't have top 10 talent was because of Schwartz, because of the way he employed his defense. He had more pull as a coordinator in player personnel than maybe other, any other defense coordinator in the league. He had the general manager's ear more so than the head coach did. And I'm sorry, that should not be the way that it is. And, and there's no point when a coordinator should be able to affect change with player personnel, drafts, signings, trades, as much as I believe he did as compared to the head coach. I don't know that Doug Peterson could get uh, Howie Roseman to do anything. I think Jim Schwartz got Howie Roseman to do a lot during his time here in Philadelphia. So if you're going to say, well, he never had that kind of talent, well, that would be on Jim Schwartz because I think he advised well, Howie Roseman how to acquire or not acquire talent for his defense. Well, we can go a couple. I, I will say this. He had, he had autonomy, complete autonomy on the defensive side of the football as it regarded game plan, scheming, things like that. In free agency, he pushed for guys like Zach Brown and Stephen Tullock that didn't work out, his guys. The draft, no way. How he controls the draft. He doesn't listen to anybody. Uh, hopefully, he listens to Andy Weidel. So part of that is true. Part of it isn't true. But the fact of, you know, Zach Berman mentioned, you know, getting all this youth on the coaching staff was a plan by the Eagles. That's part of the plan. They say, yeah, Jim Schwartz liked playing veteran guys, relied on veteran guys. Maybe you can criticize him for not getting younger players on the field a little bit more quickly. I think that's fair. But I got to tell you, Jonathan Gannon, Godspeed. You're going to have some growing pains there. You ain't getting Jim Schwartz next year. Despite uh, me saying Schwartz is behind previous Eagle coordinators, yeah, I got to get a look at Mr. Gannon to figure if he can uh, achieve a level as Jim Schwartz did. He was good. Jim Schwartz did a good job as the defensive coordinator of the Eagles. And by not, the way. Not Jim Johnson or Bud bottom, Carson. Like that's so. what I wrote on Philly Voice today, Jody. Bottom line guy and a bottom line business. And that's the bottom line. That's my Steve Austin for you. That's my WrestleMania preview. But I will say this. Buddy Ryan, 
Bud Carson, uh, Jim Johnson, no Super Bowl. Super Bowl 52, Jim Schwartz. Uh, and he gave up 500 I, well, yards. Well, I was say, what was the final score of that Super Bowl yeah. again? Please Bottom remind line. me how good his defense was in the what, But, Jody, what is the biggest play in Eagles history? And it's not the Philly special. It's Brandon Graham stripping Tom Brady at the biggest moment on the biggest stage. All you got to do is win the game. His defense won the game. Uh, that is the bottom line. And the bottom line is that we're out of time. Edition number four of Birds 365 in the books. We'll be back with edition five tomorrow. Thanks to everybody who tuned in. You can go back and catch bits and pieces, the edited portions of Birds 365, both on the Jacobs Media Channel and on phillyvoice.com. Have a great rest of your Thursday. Be back with us tomorrow right here on Birds 365. If you missed any of today's show on the Jacob Media channel, listen to the podcast on your way home. Available on YouTube, Apple, and Spotify. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.